0: This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. It's been five days now since Hurricane Ian made landfall in Lee County, causing widespread devastation up and down the coast and in many areas inland as well. Unprecedented storm surge swept across Lee County's barrier islands and washed out the Sanibel Causeway in several places. Hundreds of thousands of homes and businesses are still without power across the state. There's no power at all on Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel, Captiva, or Pine Island, and there's no way to estimate yet when service can be restored to the barrier islands, and most LCEC customers in Cape Coral and North Fort Myers remain without power right now. On today's show, we're going to get an update on power restoration efforts. We'll also talk with two attorneys about post-Ian insurance issues, including for people who live in condo associations. Then later in the show, we'll hear from some of our reporters and editors who've been out in the field talking to people impacted by the storm. If you'd like to engage with us or or share any stories, photos, or videos of what you experienced during the storm and what you're facing now, please do so using WGCU social media. Find us on Facebook, we're at WGCU Public Media, and on Twitter, we're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. First up, I'm joined on the phone by Karen Ryan. She's Public Relations Director for LCEC or the Lee County Electric Cooperative. Karen, welcome to Gulf Coast Life.
1: Thank you for having me, Mike.
0: Uh, So for starters, can you just give us an overview uh, of what the LCEC service area is so listeners can kind of picture what it is you guys cover versus FPL?
1: Okay. um, LCEC serves Cape Coral, North Fort Myers, Pine Island, Sanibel, Immokalee, Ave Maria, Marco Island, Everglades City, and parts of Lehigh Acres.
0: So which areas are still completely without power at this point?
1: Pine Island and Sanibel do not have any power restored at this time. We 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 have been able to fly over both islands and do a, an initial assessment, so we have an idea where the worst damage is and where there are areas maybe not where there are areas that maybe we can restore power once we can get access to the island.
0: Um, so it's not really, I said in the lead and I I was kind of making an assumption. It's not probably even able to be estimated right now when power might be restored to like those islands, right?
1: No, not at this time. It will just depend on, you know, if we have a, a way, a good way to get to the islands and to get crews and equipment and vehicles to the islands. Once we are able to do that, then we can give a better estimation on how long it might take to restore power.
0: I've watched the, um, the City of Sanibel press conferences the last couple of days, and they're talking about trying to get some barges and that one of their priorities will be to get your equipment out there. Do you have any sense on your end of the timeline on that at this point?
1: No, um, we are working very closely with, the, um, with local um, agencies and also with the governor's office and the Florida Electric Co-op Association. So we do have um, a lot of irons in the fire to get those barges to be able to get those equipment out there. There's no definitive answers on when the barges will be available and how fast we can um, mobilize the equipment out there. But that is the plan is to get out there as soon as we can so after we assess the damage, we can start re- making repairs at the source. We'll know like what we're up against when we are able to actually be there flying over head and seeing where infrastructure is there is one thing, but then actually investigating the equipment is another thing.
0: You know, when we talk about restoring power, uh, you know, people from LCEC and FPL keep reminding people that, um, you know, just because power is restored to your neighborhood, et cetera, if your home is not safe and has been somehow verified to be safe, then you might not be able to have power back. Um, Does that mean effectively that every single building out on those islands is going to have to have some sort of an inspection? Because from what I understand, they've all been completely inundated, so probably might be at risk.
1: That is the safe thing to do, Mike. And they probably will require inspections for everything. And it really is for everybody's own good because the last thing we want to do is energize a home and then have it catch on fire or worse to even hurt somebody. So we're asking, of course, people on the island won't be able to do this. But once people start returning to the island, we will really be stressing that it's very important to turn off the main breaker at their home. And then they can have an electrician check it Get it inspected before they turn that main breaker back on.
0: And that advice uh, goes for anybody really across Southwest Florida whose power's out, right? People should have their breakers out, off. Maybe one breaker on in an area where they're, you know, like they have lights on, so they might know when the power's off or on, rather. But they should uh, be mindful of their breakers.
1: That's right, Mike. Even a house that wasn't damaged by water or, or you know, there's no equipment on the outside damaged, they should do that because. It was a little bit ago before the when their storm rolled through and people may not remember what they were doing if they had something on the stove and the power went out then when we energize the stove will be on so they should make sure they turn off the breakers, and leave that one on, like you said, so that they know that their power is restored.
0: So um, let's talk about, you know, um, inland, off-the-barrier islands. Um, A majority of your Cape Coral and North Fort Myers customers are still without power. Can you go over what's happening in those two communities and what restoration timelines might look like at this point?
1: Yes, um, those are two areas that were hit pretty hard. So we were very happy this morning when we started, we already had about 5,500 customers in Cape Coral restored and about uh, just over 12,000 in North Fort Myers restored, but we still have a long way to go. We have a lot of booths on the ground. They're, they've been working out there all day. We feel like um, those numbers will increase of customers that have been restored, but also tomorrow we have 500 additional crews that will be coming into the area from across the nation. And they will start working in those hardest-hit areas, and we think that that's going to actually increase the progress.
0: Can you give any kind of an estimate as to when those areas might be back? I I know people are sort of desperate for information, but I don't want to, you know, I know you don't want to promise anything that's not uh, certain.
1: No, but we have a rough estimate in Cape Coral that um, most people will be restored, by October 8th, which is next Saturday. That's the worst case scenario. So I don't want people to hear that and be discouraged because they could be one of the lucky ones that's restored today. But worst case scenario, it'll be Saturday, October 8th um, for restoration. And that goes for most areas. Uh, within the LCC service territory.
0: All right, and uh, FPL is giving out sort of similar advice, so people listening, you know, cross your fingers by the weekend you might have power, let's let's hope. Um, What about Marco Island? How how did it fare and what is the, uh, you know, how many people are back with power out there?
1: Surprisingly, Marco Island fared well. It's already 40 percent restored and we're estimating that they will have 95 percent restoration Um, by the end of the day tomorrow
0: what about immokalee
1: immokalee um we're estimating october 8th
0: okay um also saturday what are lcec's biggest obstacles at this point is it is it a matter of uh you know manpower is it a matter of hardware like where does that all break down
1: oh my gosh mike every day there's a new challenge but I would say um, right now we have those 500 crews coming in tonight. That's in addition to the 800 that we have out there working already. And then at the end of the week, we'll have an additional 500 crews available. So thanks to assistance from the governor's office, we have enough boots on the ground. We've also been very fortunate that FPL has offered to um, provide some of their their um, line crews, once they're finished with restoration as early as this week too, that they can give up some of their contract crews. So that challenge we've been able to overcome. Materials, there is a um, supply chain situation right now, but we've had so many people come um, to our aid offering materials. So we're in good shape now with that challenge. Right now our biggest challenge probably is flooding. So the crews, even though we have a lot of boots on the ground, when they get to areas w- that are underwater, it does make restoration very, very difficult. If anybody um, has been to our Facebook page, there's a great video of a crew that could not get the bucket truck to where they needed to be because there was so much water, and they're carrying a ladder. They're up to their uh, almost up to their shoulders in water, um, taking the ladder over to the other side of the water so that they can... Uh, climb the pole and restore power at that location. These, These workers, that's what they do is they restore power and they do whatever it takes to get the lights on.
0: Um, Karen you've been with LCEC for quite some time if I remember correctly we talked with you uh, like this back during the 2004-2005 hurricane seasons when uh, Hurricane Charlie and all those other storms hit Um, are those storms during those seasons remotely comparable to what you're facing now with Ian or is this on a different level?
1: This is definitely on a different level we were talking about that too I mean Hurricane Charlie and even the storms that followed it, they were devastating, but they were not throughout the entire, our entire county service territory. This storm, it was just so big and so ferocious. It's not like anything that we've seen in this area.
0: Um, all right, well, I'm gonna let you go unless you have any final thoughts.
1: No, um, I would just, you know, close with making sure people use their generator safety so that they don't put themselves and our workers in danger. Turn off those breakers so that you don't, you know, put your home and yourself in danger. And be patient and and just have confidence. We know it's terrible to be without power, but our crews are working 16, 17 hours around the clock, and they will keep working hard until every last customer is restored.
0: All right. Karen Ryan is Public Relations Director for LCEC. Karen, thank you so much for your help, and we'll uh, talk to you again later this week.
1: Okay. Thank you, Mike.
0: Uh, Earlier today, FPL Chairman and CEO Eric Salagi made a statement and took a few questions in Bonita Springs to discuss storm recovery efforts and give estimates on power restoration in its Southwest Florida service area. Uh, Let's hear that conversation or press conference now.
2: I'm here in Collier County at the Imperial Club uh, right off the beach. Uh, As you can see, some of the damage here is uh, is very extensive. Right behind me is uh, one of our vaults where the power comes in uh, from the road and then feeds the whole building. Uh, You can see this area was completely uh, slammed by the storm surge, filled with sand, debris, patio furniture that ended up in the electrical vault and this is some of the challenges that our crews have in actually restoring power and trying to get people back up and uh, and on their feet however we are making really good progress across the state to remind you it has been about 76 hours since uh, ian which was a monster storm left florida and we stopped seeing the winds impacting our service territory since then we've been able to restore 1.8 million customers 83 percent of all of fpl's customers that were impacted by the storm now have power on. Uh, however, we still have several hundred thousand customers who have no power and we are committed to working 24 hours a day to getting them back up. Today, uh, I'm pleased to announce that we're able to actually uh, improve our restoration efforts and time. Uh, we're actually gonna be able to, we think, get this done faster than what we thought. The work that was done overnight was tremendous. Um, And I'd like to give you some uh, update uh, by county estimates of when we're going to get the power on. For those who remain without power, here's where we stand right now. By close of business by tomorrow, we expect to have uh, Manatee County in the north part, which is this purple shaded area, restored. Uh, To remind you, unfortunately, there are a number of people who have structural damage to their homes and businesses. So when I say essentially restored, it means the people who can't take power Uh, We expect to be able to deliver power, but there will be a number of people who simply cannot safely accept power at their home or their business uh, until it is inspected and cleared by county officials to be able to do so. Uh, By close of business on Wednesday, we expect to have all of Collier County, Manatee County South, as well as Sarasota County north of Fruitville Road uh, being essentially restored. And then by close of business on Friday, we expect to have all of the rest of our customers in Charlotte, DeSoto, Glades, Hendry, Highland, Lee, and the rest of Sarasota County, so that area south of Fruitville Road, restored. So that will effectively, if all goes well, we will uh, be able to have all of our customers, uh, the over 2 million that were impacted by this monster storm, uh, essentially restored. There are certain areas where search and rescue are still going on and we cannot restore power in those areas because we don't want to end up injuring or killing also a a first responder who is going into a damaged building trying to find people. So we're still facing a lot of challenges out there, a lot of debris, uh, a lot of high water. Uh, Folks in Arcadia, as an example, are still flooded, uh, but we're working through that and we appreciate your understanding. And uh, from here, we're going to continue to work day in and day out until this is done.
3: I'll quickly explain why in different counties in FPL service territory, percentage restored is different from county to county? Sure. And what are the other challenges that FPL is facing in Southwest Florida? All right.
2: So the first thing we do is we focus on critical infrastructure facilities. I'm pleased to say every hospital uh, in every area that we were uh, that we were impacted has been restored with power. So that's one example of critical infrastructure. We focus on water treatment facilities, uh, pump stations, 911 centers, police, and fire. What we also see though is is that Mother Nature doesn't uniformly impact everybody the same way. Uh, Ian was a monster storm that had storm surge that had tremendous impact, devastating impact along the the coastal communities, along the beaches, but also brought um, massive winds that also had different pockets of winds, microbursts, tornadoes. On the east coast of Florida, as an example, early in the storm, there were 10 tornadoes that spun off. And so you'll see pockets of damage, um, which are forensically, we don't know exactly why that damage occurred. We'll know later, but clearly, Mother Nature uh, impacts different areas differently. Trees go down in some areas where they don't in others, and that impacts electricity. There are pockets where we're having to rebuild like behind me, this has to be rebuilt. But we're doing that simultaneously, and wherever we can, we're repairing it with the goal of getting as many people back online as quickly as possible without ever compromising on safety.
3: Eric, what should customers do if they suspect they have damage to their home, if they have questions about whether they can take service?
2: Yeah, so please, if you have damage to your home in any way, it's imperative and it's a requirement that you call an electrician, you contact an electrician, and you have an inspection done before we restore the power. Let's not take any chances. I don't wanna burn a house down or a business down uh, or electrocute somebody because there's structural damage to the home. So please don't take chances. I know everybody wants to get their electricity back up as quickly as possible, but it is not worth getting hurt or killed or having your house burned down Uh, because you cut a corner and don't get an inspection before we're able to restore power. If you see physical damage, have it inspected first. Otherwise, we are not going to be able to turn your power back on.
3: Eric, one last question that's trending on our Facebook page. Um, The question is, why does my neighbor have power, but, but I don't?
2: so power comes in from different areas from different feeders and different laterals those are the smaller lines that are underground so the way it works is power is generated at the power plants they're then put on big transmission lines think of that as the interstate highway system of electricity then they go down to the major thoroughfare lines and then down into the neighborhoods we call those laterals but those are the smaller lines that run behind your home and then they connect each individual home Sometimes your neighbor will actually get its electricity from a different line than when you're on and it may be that the line that's serving you has damage and it may not even be right in front of your house or behind your house. It may be a block away that we're working on it. So it may be that you have a neighbor across the street that has power and you don't and that's because they just happen to be fortunate to be on a different line in this storm because they haven't been impacted or we've been able to restore that line. But we are going to get to you and we are going to make sure that your power is safely on.
0: That was FPL Chairman and CEO Eric Szilagyi speaking on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. this morning. In the chaos after Ian, many people have questions about insurance, both homeowners insurance and condominium owners. Joining me next to go over some of the key issues people are facing, I'm joined via Zoom by Sanjay Kurian. He's managing partner at Becker and Polyakov's Fort Myers office. Sanjay, thank you so much for being with us, and I apologize if I mispronounced your name.
4: No, you pronounced the name... Perfectly.
0: And thank you for having me on, Mike. Great. Thank you. And Aaron Pruss Pruss, is an attorney with Becker and Polikoff. He's board certified in construction law. Aaron, thanks to you as well.
3: Thank you, Mike. It's Pruss.
0: Pruss. Okay. Thank you. I will use that uh, when I thank you at the end. Um, So for starters, um, uh, Sanjay, let's start with you. What are your first impressions of the scope of this disaster and what it's going to mean for people who've been impacted both, you know, um, primarily when it comes to insurance and financial issues?
4: Sure. Uh, first, you know, uh, our, our obviously our thoughts and prayers go out to all of the people that have been impacted. Uh, obviously, uh, a very large death toll. Uh, probably people uh, hurt and now. You know, you're, they're finding out they're losing their houses and stuff. So, you know, our prayers to them um, from from the firm. Uh, with regard to just the scope and the magnitude of the, the, you know, people talk about Charlie. I was here for Charlie. Charlie was it was in. It was out. It was a you know a narrow swath in the grand grand scheme of things. Uh, and the difference here is, you know, uh, Ian just sat there, you know, seemingly forever, uh, all day uh, with a ton of rain, a ton of heavy wind, and unfortunately a huge uh, surge of, of floodwater uh, that, you know, these things are going to take, you know, weeks, months, uh, and in some cases years uh, to recover from as far as rebuilding and reconstructing to the extent some of these things can ever be done. So I think this is probably, in my opinion, much worse uh, than anything that, you know, has preceded it in this area, uh, at least in my knowledge. And uh, and unfortunately, it's going to take some time to recover from all that.
0: Aaron, do you have anything you'd like to add to that?
3: No, I think I think Sanjay's summed it up the the magnitude of loss. Um, uh, we just really can't even estimate it right now. Um, there are so many moving parts to it um, and the long term effects it's going to have on the community. Um, you know, we don't even know what those are at this point. But uh, to Sanjay's point, his first point, uh, the main thing is the health and safety of the individuals in the community. And uh, we focus on that initially and we work on the recovery aspects once we have secured everybody's uh, safety.
0: Um, before we get uh, a bit more into insurance related issues, I just have a couple basic questions that I, I, I'm, a, I'm a thinking that you as attorneys could answer. Sanjay, um, can you provide clarity on if your home or condo is unlivable, but you know, you still, are you still required to make your mortgage payments, your rent payments? Is that just how it works, even if your house has been made unlivable?
4: Yeah. So generally that's true. Uh, you might want to check your particular mortgage if there's some sort of Clause. I would be surprised if there was. Uh, Number two, you might, you know, if it's financial hardship, reach out to the particular carrier. They may or may not be able to help. Uh, And number three, and it hasn't happened yet, there might be some sort of, uh, based on prior experience, some sort of federal assistance that, that could come around. But Generally, as of right this second, uh, you're going to be expected to make your payments to to your uh, to your banks and, and mortgage holders.
0: Um, you guys have a hurricane recovery team. Is your focus primarily on condo associations, or is it broader than that?
4: I will let Aaron handle that. All right.
3: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually touch base on the prior question first. Sure. Um, because because shortly before this interview, I received an email from my mortgage company because my home is in the zone that has been declared a federal disaster area and uh, they inform me that they will not report any missed payments or reflect any uh, adverse credit reporting for at least three months so my advice to anybody who has been displaced uh, reach out to their mortgage company And inquire if any uh, decisions or protocols have been put in place to allow for uh, forbearance or um, uh, postponement of of payments until uh, the home becomes habitable. Um, And that's, as Sanjay pointed out, that will be a case by case basis. Um, In terms of hurricane response and support from a legal perspective, our law firm uh, it has a uh, great history of servicing condominium and homeowner associations, uh, but we, we do a lot more than that. And so we are uh, positioned and capable to assist uh, virtually any property owner, uh, any business owner. Uh, we have a, a large swath of, of expertise within the firm from our business uh, practice groups, and real estate practice groups and uh, construction practice groups that uh, give us the unique ability to uh, to be able to service both, you know, our condominium association clients as well as uh, individual homeowners and business owners.
0: Okay, great. So what should people whose homes or condos have received serious damage that will require insurance claims focus on
4: first? So uh, this is Sanjay, so first they should, obviously make sure uh the property's safe that they are safe uh as uh, as i was listening to the the gentleman from fpl and the, the lady you had on from lcec you know they talked about securing the property so that when the power comes on you didn't get a fire or, or somebody get hurt so that's really number one secure the property whether it's your condo unit uh or a, a home make sure it's safe it can be you know whether you want to be occupied or not Number two is start, you know, looking at what, you know, if there's damages or so on. Uh, In the particular case of of floodwaters, but even even rainwater, it, you know, it gets in. It can get moldy very quickly. To start figuring out, okay, do I need to start cutting out drywall? Do I? Are there people to hire? If you're in a condo, it's a little more complicated. uh, It might be easier though if you have a management company or a manager that's involved that has uh, they've already put protocols in place. So I mean, really, first thing, secure the property. Number two, get rid of anything that's wet, get it out of the building. Uh, Most carriers, uh, you know, they understand that. Hey, you you know, you you know, it had to be removed. But I would take photographs, document it as best you can, Uh, make sure you put your carrier on notice. Uh, And right now, that's a little hard uh, because a lot of folks may not even know who their carrier is or where the uh, the notice should go. Reach back out to your insurance agent, touch base, uh, and make sure that claims are, are being reported. Uh, here in the short term, I think those are really the most, most important things. What I would also advise against is, and, and I think we may touch on it in a bit, Mike, is uh, unfortunately there are a lot of folks out here to take advantage of the victims of, of the hurricane uh, and will want you to sign up and sign contracts for restoration that you know restoration may not happen for months uh, but they're they're asking you to sign up uh restoration contracts they're asking you to sign up and assign insurance benefits and you, you have to be very cautious uh in this process and and so if you're not sure whether you should sign something or not uh reach out to your you know reach out to your lawyer reach out to people that you trust uh as opposed to folks that just showed up you never saw before and you're and you're signing these big contracts.
0: Um, and just to, to clarify, you know, I was uh, I was over at my mom's house yesterday, and the up and down the street, people were ripping out flooring and furniture and carpets and drywall and putting that out by the street. Um, if you have homeowners insurance and that stuff is going to be covered, you just need to make sure you get pictures of it before you put it out by the street.
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Pictures. Uh, any, I would also document. You know, sometimes pictures don't recover. You know, say, hey, we. Took out, you know, two rooms worth of, of flooring or carpeting, and this is what the rooms were, and this is, you know, take photographs of it, but also in in writing document it, so that way you have that information. Sometimes it's easy easy to forget, uh, and you may not see it in a photograph.
0: Um, uh, you kind of already forward promoted this con- this question a little bit, but uh, let's talk about insurance adjusters because um, you know I had a house destroyed by Hurricane Charlie in 2004, and I was contacted by a number of people who called themselves independent adjusters that said that they could help me uh, make the process go more smoothly. Can you provide some clarity on on who those people are and whether or not they they are always legit? They can be legit, or maybe they're not legit.
4: So yeah, yes. So uh, the, the legal term is it's a public adjuster. They're supposed to be licensed by the state of Florida. Uh, and they you know, you know they are allowed to basically uh, evaluate an insurance claim, package your insurance claim, and negotiate with your insurance carrier for the claim. Uh, the issues can be that post hurricane, you will have people of varying degrees of quality. You will have some very you know, uh, experienced uh, public adjusters who have been doing it for a long time, very re- reputable, and then you'll have some folks that see an opportunity to to make some money uh, and evaluate. You know, by submitting insurance claims. So you have to be do your you know do your the be- your homework the best you can. Uh, like anything else, uh, you're talking about a lot of money. You know, a referral from a trusted source is probably the best way to go. Uh, if you've never you know, because there are people out, they're knocking on doors right now. I'm sure. Uh, And offering to put together your insurance claim and you won't know these folks from Adam. So probably the best thing to do is, you know, know, take a card, take their proposal, you know, but but talk around, ask your insurance agent if they have any recommendations, but certainly don't just sign up with whoever shows up at your door because they they may be good, they may be bad, but you don't know uh, without doing some legwork on it.
0: Uh, let's focus in on condo associations for a little bit, Um, Aaron. What are the kinds of issues that people who live in condo associations and you know um, what do they face that's sort of outside the scope of what a normal homeowner would face?
3: Well, you know, yeah, of course you don't actually um, own personally the property that constitutes the the condominium. Um, so it's you, you own it in conjunction with the other members of the association. So uh, that is run like a corporation. It has a board of directors and the board of directors is charged with the maintenance and and operation of this residential corporation, if you will. So by law, you know, certain protocols have to be followed in terms of uh, setting up meetings, Amongst the board, they're subject to the Florida Sunshine Act, so they have to be very transparent. Um, You know, typically there's a 48 hour uh, notice requirement for meetings, et cetera. Uh, One of the issues, particularly this time of year when residents aren't necessarily in Florida who come down here for the winter, uh, are getting in contact with them and informing them uh, via electronic means. Uh, when the meetings are going to occur Uh, but there is a statute that allows the board to take emergency powers uh, which truncates timing for meeting notices uh, allows the board to do certain things to secure the property and um, i would i would suggest any condominium associations who have questions like that consult with their counsel as to what those opportunities are. Um, it will give them the tools they need to address the immediate concerns uh, that are, they're faced with in terms of drying in and drying out the properties um, and you know, mobilizing crews to, to begin the remediation process.
0: So uh, people who live in condos, they don't own the property Uh, uh, you know, as a whole, but they do, are or they are responsible for what's inside their walls. So they have separate insurance for that?
3: Yes. Typically they'll have what they call an HO6 policy, which um, covers basically everything from the paint inside.
0: And uh, does that operate or work in basically the same way as homeowner's insurance, or can you explain sort of what the main differences are?
3: Yeah, it is. It is, you know, it's sort of a a mini homeowners policy. Um, And again, one thing people have to understand and recognize is there are generally no two insurance policies the same. Uh, There are standardized forms that insurance carriers use, but depending on what um, what you're purchasing, what package your uh, insurance uh, agent has put together for you, Uh, There may be differences and they may be very subtle differences in the policy language uh, from one unit to the next. So it's it's critical that the owners contact their insurance agent and discuss, Okay, what you know, what am I supposed to do now that I have this loss? Uh, Who do I contact? What is this going to cover? Uh, Some you know, there might be some, you know, uh, overlap. Uh, potential and coverages so uh, we it, it's really important to talk to your insurance agent to consult counsel as the as the condominium association and you know just so that you understand what your rights are uh, w- what you're entitled to under those policies and and the correct procedures to follow um, and we might get to it later on flood but I just want to point out because this is a critical this is a critical issue flood claims, uh, have a different um, have a different time frame within which they have to be filed. So your listeners need to know that flood claims need to be filed with your flood insurer uh, within 60 days of the loss. Um, outside of the 60 days, the, the federal uh, flood insurance program will likely deny those claims. So it, it's imperative if you think you have flood damage, uh, you need to make that assessment and you need to get that proof of loss into your carrier uh, before the expiration of 60 days from September 28th.
0: People who live in ground floors and condos, are they required? I mean, you know, federal flood insurance is different than individual homeowners insurance. Uh, does it work the same for condo owners? Do they have the same kind of federal flood insurance if they have it?
3: Well, yeah, the associations will typically have to carry the flood coverage. Understood.
4: Uh, uh, Mike, if I might just add one thing on the HO6 policies, uh, all HO6 policies are required to have what's called loss assessment coverage. And that is, it's a little bit different than just the property damage that Aaron was talking about. Because as a result of the damages, it is inevitable that most Condo uh, associations are going to have to pass some sort of assessments to pick up costs that were unbudgeted, so there will be some sort of special assessments, and those policies are required to have, and I think the numbers at one thousand seven hundred fifty dollars of loss assessment coverage, and so that is something else that your listeners, if they're in a condo, they need to put their HO-6 carriers on notice, so that at the time that the association does pass a special assessment of some sort, that they can come back and and Make that claim for the loss assessment coverage, uh, and obviously, uh, if it's more than uh, if it's more than a then that may be on the owner. But I have seen some loss assessment coverages where they, you know, they were you know, an, an owner had it paid for ten thousand dollars worth of coverage on it. So that's very important, and it's important in that it's important for the unit owners because they can at least uh, fr- fray some defray some of the. Assessments that are coming, but it's also important for the association to get the word out to their membership, because that's a uh, that is money that has already been paid for under these insurance policies. The owners have paid those premiums, that they should be make sure that uh, they have access to those funds when needed.
0: Understood. Uh, Sanjay, let's stick with you. You know, it's been getting uh, harder and harder to find homeowners insurance policies here in Florida. Um, Can you just kind of speculate as to what Ian's impact is going to do to the insurance industry in Florida, Florida, broadly speaking?
4: Right. So and the the key word there is is somewhat speculate because it is harder. Uh, I think it will be harder still. You're going to see a a significant payout uh, for all of these properties that have been damaged. Uh, I think you will also see a uh, insurers that uh, one premiums will go up, but as a client told me last week, premiums seem to always go up, right? So uh, th- that there's that, but you're going to see some probably some additional underwriting requirements uh, for uh, going forward, where carriers will issue policies, but they're going to expect to see new windows, new roofs, uh, things elevated above the you know above the ground floor. Uh, Or there might be exclusions broadly for things on ground, uh, you know, to avoid to to preclude any potential flood claims. Um, So I think we're in for some changes. Uh, It's going to take a couple a couple years typically to to shake out. Uh, But but I think it will in the in the short term be more expensive uh, to obtain insurance uh, if we can obtain it at all in in the condo world.
0: Um, uh, Aaron, can anything you'd like to follow up with on that question?
3: Uh, no, I think Mr. Korean hit all the high points.
0: Okay. Um, Aaron, I noticed on your bio when I was reading up for this that you have some involvements with Sanibel, like associations like the Chamber of Commerce. Do you live out on Sanibel?
3: Uh, I, I lived out there for uh, about 15 years, uh, moved off island, but my, uh, my ex-wife and my son are still island residents.
0: Do you have any sense of, of what their home is like?
3: yes um thankfully it is it appears to be uh in very good shape uh the only thing we cannot ascertain at this point is whether or not uh, water got into the structure itself it's on 10-foot pilings on the west end of the island Um, so if storm surge stayed at about nine feet out there, then they should be fine. But uh, from a structural standpoint, we have seen videos and pictures, uh, all the windows and doors are intact. Um, So that's good news. But um, there are certainly plenty of uh, my friends and, uh, and other folks who did not fare as well.
0: Understood. Um, uh, Sanjay, do you have any final thoughts before we let you guys go? Uh, Yeah, the
4: the most important part, like I said, is Make sure you're safe. Make sure your home is safe, uh, and and stay vigilant. Uh, you will not guard your property. Nobody guard, will guard your property and money as well as you do. Uh, and you know, we talked some of the some potential bad things that can happen signing up with, you know, disreputable people or something along those lines. Uh, don't let this disaster become a second disaster in the in the recovery process. Just may remain vigilant uh, and seek you know appropriate referrals, uh, you know, and and direction from those that uh, you trust.
0: All right. Thanks to Sanjay Kurian. He's managing partner of Becker and Polyakov's Fort Myers office. Sanjay, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today. Thank you, Mike. And Aaron Pruss is an attorney with Becker and Polyakov. He's board certified in construction law. Aaron, thanks to you as well and best of luck.
3: Thank you, Mike. Good luck to you too.
0: Before we move on, remember, if you and your friends and family were impacted by the recent disaster and are in one of the communities that's been approved for individual assistance from FEMA, which is effectively all of our listening area, you can apply for disaster assistance by going to disasterassistance.gov, that's disasterassistance.gov, or by calling 1-800-621-3362. We'll have that on our website, wgcu.org slash Coastal Hurricane evacuees who live north of Ian's Wrath are eager to get back to their homes, their jobs, and their lives that they left behind, but there's a problem because the Peace River is rising. Let's hear a story now from WGCU's Eileen Kelly.
5: The Peace River has been a vital source to the people in its watershed. It's in the southwestern part of the Florida Peninsula, originating in Polk County and flowing south through Hardy County into Arcadia which is in DeSoto County. It then flows southwest into the Charlotte Harbor estuary in Charlotte County's Punta Gorda. This 106-mile-long freshwater river provides drinking water to the people in its region. The water is also vital to Charlotte Harbor's commercial and recreational harvest of shrimp, crabs, and fish. But the river crested two days after Hurricane Ian plowed up the state, dumping more than a foot of rain in some places. The rising river is flowing over roads, stopping and confusing travelers who have been rerouted off major north and southbound arteries, including Interstate 75 in Charlotte County on Saturday. Detour signs and GPS are taking travelers through rural DeSoto County and agricultural-rich county in the heartland of Florida. Many of these travelers are people who evacuated their homes ahead of the hurricane and are now trying to get back to the Tampa area, north of where the storm hit.
3: Okay, you're gonna turn right on State Road 7.
5: In our attempt to head north, we came across Florida Highway Patrol troopers dispatched down from Jacksonville to help people trying to travel through water-logged and hurricane-battered DeSoto County. In DeSoto County alone, 15 roads were closed Saturday and Sunday due to the flooding. The limited supply of gas is creating massive lines at gas stations. These lines are spilling into rural roads in DeSoto County, slowing travel to a crawl. Troopers Jeffrey Thomas and Michael Orton took the time over the weekend to write down directions for weary travelers who were finding out firsthand that phone navigation maps were not updating about the rising Peace River.
6: I'm trying to go to St. Leo University.
5: That's Issa Riano. The Collier County 18-year-old spent part of the day in the passenger seat catching up on homework as her dad drove her back, or tried to drive her back, to St. Leo University in the metropolitan area of Tampa. Normally it takes two hours and 45 minutes to get from Collier County to the University. Saturday, it took almost that amount of time just to get to DeSoto County, an eastern county more than 130 miles from St. Leo University. A sign saying the road is closed greeted her and other travelers along northbound State Road 31 in Arcadia.
2: Every time we try to take the other way, it's closed, and we try to look for it in Google Maps, and then it's closed again, so we don't know what to do.
5: (laughs) An alligator was spotted floating along the river-filled road. The Jacksonville troopers said some persistent motorists were moving the road-closed sign Friday, thinking they could plow across. Instead, they had to be fished out of the waterlogged road. In all, there were eight rescues Friday night in this very spot.
7: Would there be someone kind enough to just
0: let us be on the point where I just have to drive straight?
5: This was a motorist who would only identify himself by his first name, Ravant. It was the second time in a day that he found himself in front of the same road-closure sign with the same troopers manning it. Unlike Friday, when emergency responders had to pluck motorists from the river-flooded road, they had no intention of doing that again Saturday. Revant was told, no, you may not drive down this flooded road. Trooper Thomas again explained to the man not to depend on Google Maps, but to follow the directions he was writing down.
6: All these Googles and GPS things are all going crazy because there's no towers.
5: We had to be rerouted as well. Instead of trying to push north, we headed into the city of Arcadia. There, fellow reporter Jake Reyes and I found Damian Lofton. Lofton stopped at the DeSoto County Sheriff's Office to ask if the Sheriff's Office could spare a few gallons of gasoline so he could join the long lines of motorists trying to fill up their tanks. He was told gas is reserved for emergency responders. Dejected, Lofton went back to his car. He and his family evacuated the Tampa area ahead of the hurricane and rode out the storm in the Miami area. That was a week ago. He tried to get gas in Lee County Saturday, but found a station with a line that he said was miles long. It was a three-hour wait. The line was three miles long. Sitting in his SUV at the DeSoto County Sheriff's Office where we found him, the fuel gauge said there were about five miles worth of gasoline left in his SUV.
3: Now we're just here stuck until we figure it out.
5: Even before Hurricane Ian tore through Wednesday, DeSoto County was already waterlogged because of immense rain ahead of the storm. Many roads had been closed since Ian, but the number of road closures was rising as the river rose too. Sarah Walker, a spokeswoman for DeSoto County, is stationed at the county's Emergency Operations Center. There, she routed off numerous communities in the county that are flooded.
6: In the flooded areas is where residents have been hit the hardest. Pine level is very... um impacted. Hidden Acres is a flooded area.
5: And so, emergency responders are focusing on search and rescue efforts and using boats to help people evacuate their homes. As of Saturday night, there were more than 90 people rescued from the flooded areas. Eileen Kelly, WGCU.
0: The storm surge and wind from Hurricane Ian essentially wiped away the heart of Fort Myers Beach. Restaurants, bars, stores, and condos from Mid-Island to the Matanzas Pass Bridge have been either completely leveled or blown through, left with muddy debris spilling out. WUSF's Jessica Mazzaro spoke with a business owner and resident of the city of Fort Myers Beach on Sunday after Ian made landfall about the overnight destruction to her livelihood and how she intends to move forward.
6: Sharon Faircloth lives on a canal in the Palm Isles community, a bridge away from Fort Myers Beach. The gray home with the tin roof was built on stilts, so she turned the bottom floor into an apartment. What once made up that space is now a pile of garbage in front of her home due to flooding from Hurricane Ian. A generator is powering fans to dry out the apartment.
7: We've never had water in this house. Built this house in 2001, but we could tell, like, okay, we might get some water in the downstairs. So we we put everything up so it would about four or five feet high but then it came up eight feet we walk past
6: bins of family photo albums outside that have been soaked through to enter the apartment
7: this was a bedroom and we've already luckily we have a really unbelievably fantastic staff they came right in and we've already torn out all this drywall Bearcloth
6: and her husband own three water recreation businesses on fort myers beach with a staff of about 30 who are all out of work right now so she hired them to help her clean it just
7: looks like studs with trash everywhere (laughs) i don't know big fans everywhere so the water came up to here and you're pointing to both both of our heads right now yeah way above our heads i don't know how you describe the stuff on the floor it's like dirt mud when we came here when we got here after the storm there was about three inches of like black soup mud you would stick to your boots so bad that you couldn't walk
6: Then Faircloth leads me to the backyard, where a 30-foot boat, which belongs to her next-door neighbor, is wedged between two palm trees. The bow is directed toward her house.
7: Luckily, there's a palm tree there, otherwise I think it would have floated right into our home. And our neighbor, he called us in the middle of the storm and he said he saw the boat floating towards our house, so he swam to try to put a line on it and tie it to a tree and almost got swept.
6: We turn back into the apartment and go up a short flight of stairs to enter the home. In a foyer next to the front door, there's a water line about knee-high. This is where she left the bins
7: of photos to ride out the storm, thinking they were safe. So then the boxes, I guess, they must have floated. Because the current, when it came in, it came in really, really fast.
6: There's another small set
7: of stairs from the foyer going up to the main floor. It's dry up there, so they have a safe place to stay. Downstairs is a complete disaster, but at least at night we can come upstairs and like, okay, feels a little bit normal. There's no electricity and the water is trickling, but that's okay.
6: Water pressure is really low and the water they do have needs to be boiled. So her home is standing, but her businesses she's not certain about. So you have three businesses.
7: Have you been able to access them at all? I have not been able to access them at all. Our business is on the beach. So we do jet ski, parasail, boat rentals, all those fun things at resorts so the resorts i know are all severely damaged we're expecting to be out of work for a year i'm guessing faircloth says her biggest
6: concern is paying her staff her plan is to pick up some work from fema or get hired
7: by marine contractors to help with the recovery efforts so we have boats we have captains we have people that want to work so i'm ready to put them to work we're just going to change our business model for a little while and then when the beach is back open, we'll go back.
6: Faircloth hasn't been able to get back to the beach yet because all of her vehicles were ruined by the storm. Also, access over the bridge has been limited because of the search and rescue mission. I was able to see some of the damage on Fort Myers Beach firsthand, standing between Ocean Alley Seafood and Beach Bar and the Shipwreck Motel off Old San Carlos Boulevard. Right now there's a downed palm trees, broken glass, clothes. um... There are police vehicles, law enforcement vehicles everywhere, including the Florida Task Force, Urban Search and Rescue. There are helicopters all around um, and just destruction everywhere. Inside the motel, uh, the windows are blown out. It's just indescribable. It might take a long time to recognize Fort Myers Beach again. I'm Jessica Mazaros on Fort Myers Beach.
0: We're going to round out today's show with Russell Lewis. He's an editor on NPR's National Desk. He's in town coordinating NPR's coverage of Hurricane Ian's camped out here at the station with us. He was host of this show back in 2004 and 2005 during those record-breaking hurricane seasons. Hey there, Russell. Hey there. It's good to be back. Uh, it's good to see you. So um, we've only got a couple minutes. Kind of what are you guys focusing on right now? And then we'll talk about you know, how this compares to things you've seen.
8: Sure. So we have uh, three reporters on the ground here in southwest Florida, three producers, a photographer, and a coordinating editor, me. Um, And so we're fanned out um, mostly in Lee County, a little bit in Collier. Um, We've got some staff members that are rotating in and out um, as the week goes on. We're focusing on just the unbelievable – scope and scale of the destruction here Um, and it really is breathtaking and listening to Jessica's report there on Fort Myers Beach with her ending saying it's going to take some time for Fort Myers Beach to get back to normal and just sort of listening to that, it's like it's so much more than Fort Myers Beach. Um, You think about looking at Sanibel and Captiva and Pine Island and then looking into Charlotte County, there is just so much destruction
0: you have covered storms here in florida you've covered storms um, elsewhere around the united states you've covered other kinds of disasters around the world just put that in the context of what we're experiencing now first compared to the other hurricanes you've covered
8: yeah i mean it's pretty it's pretty bad you know it was as we know it was uh, a top of the scale, Category 4, maybe a Cat 5 that we'll find out later when they do some further analysis on that. But the the size of the storm is really what's striking. When you think about a Hurricane Andrew, how small and compact that storm was and how big and sprawling and slow that Ian was, it really just sort of, you know, kept so many of us here under hurricane conditions for hours and hours and hours doing the damage with the surge and everything. I mean, it is, it is quite the devastation and it ranks right up there and many of the national disasters that this country has faced.
0: You know, I was well, listening to Morning Edition this morning and they were talking to people in Pakistan where 7.9 million people were just recently displaced by flooding. That kind of puts it into context in terms of globally speaking that we are bad off here, but the world's got some bigger disasters too.
8: Absolutely. But when the disaster hits where you live, right. that's all that matters. You see what's right in front of you. And it, it doesn't matter if there were uh, a million homes destroyed here or 10,000. If it was your home that was hit, it is a huge disaster to you personally.
0: Um, you only got about 20 seconds. How much longer do you guys think you'll be around? Is this going to be long-term coverage from NPR?
8: Yeah, we will be long-term coverage and then also relying on many of the journalists here at WGCU to help with our coverage as well.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much. Russell Lewis is an NPR our editor covering their national desk. Thank you, Russell. Thank you. Thanks to everybody we've talked to today. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website. That's WGCU.org slash GCL. Our show today was produced by myself and the WGCU team. Our directors today are Richard Chinqui and Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinators, Tara Callaghan. Now, thanks for listening. I'm Mike Connery. This is NPR for Southwest Florida, WGCU-FM. Fort Myers, Naples, and Punagorda 90.1 and WMKO Marco Island were a member supported service of Florida Gulf Coast University.